What have you been reading? Today I wanted to share with you two thoughts from the book of Romans. So we're going to start here. You've got it probably if you have a handout, hopefully, in a pen. You can follow along. We've got some blanks to fill in, space for you to take some notes, and even a place at the bottom to draw a picture. We're going to get to some, some artwork later on. Um, you can follow along here on the screen. Uh, I'm going to have uh, the scripture up here, or you can always pull out your electronic device or uh, grab a house Bible or whatever. So, starting in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 24, from the New Living Translation, it says this, it says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Now the Apostle Paul who's written this, he goes on in the next the verses there in the rest of Romans 1 and he just recounts really in graphic detail the kind of sin and wickedness that results from this way of thinking. And I'm not going to go specifically into all that kind of sin, but I think it's very clear to us, and we see it around us in our culture today. Um, and this is really one of the heaviest passages, I think, in the New Testament. Maybe that's why I shared sort of that lighthearted news about my family beforehand to just kind of give us a contrast. As we, as we dive into this, I find this to be very heavy. And I like this passage, not in the sense of it makes me happy, but I like it because it's very, very clear. It really tells us what's going on, right? There's someone who said, has a great sort of maxim when they talk about scripture. They say, interpret unclear scripture in light of clear scripture. And I look at Romans 1 and I say, wow, that is a very clear scripture. We see a really clear picture of what's going on in the hearts of people around us. We see a very clear picture of what's going on in our culture today. And so as I was thinking through this passage and praying about it, I feel like God was speaking to me. I've got kind of three thoughts in particular I want to focus on that I think this says to us today. The first one is that God is both known and knowable. We see that right there in verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So we can see right there, it's very clear, God is known through the creation. Each time Christine and I have gone through that experience of seeing a baby born, she carries the baby, I don't feel like I do very much. 
right? I hate to say we have a baby because it seems like I'm actually doing something when I'm not really doing something. But every time we do that, we go through that. And it's been a number of times. And we're going to get to go through it again here. We see, wow, a picture of what God has made. His creation, the intricacy, the detail, everything put together so clearly. You can't ascribe that to anything else but God. That's how I feel every time we go through that. I think any of the rest of us, we can just go outside. Just go outside. We live in a beautiful state. Look at, look at something out there in nature. A tree. Rocks. The soil. Rivers. Everything. It's amazing. It's so intricate. It's so complex. It's so clearly designed. Uh, something was shared with me recently that, that really stuck out in my mind. Um, some of you have heard of uh, Carl Sagan. He's a sort of astronomer kind of guy. And back in 1966, he came out and said, Hey, it looks like there's, there's really only two conditions required for a planet like Earth to exist anywhere in the universe. There's really just kind of two things. I'm not sure exactly what they were. But he said, there's really two conditions required for there to be an Earth that supports life the way our Earth does. And we estimate there's about one octillion planets, which is what, like one followed by eight zeros or something like that. It's a really big number, right? He said, so chances are pretty good we're going to find life out there, right? So they went out and they set up that SETI thing and they're like sending radio waves into space and listening for other... Well, time goes on, and science, interestingly, science, as it uncovers things, it finds that the world is actually more complex than we thought it was before. It it discovers increasing complexity, and so in this case, they began to find that, oh, a few years later, they're like, actually, there's more like 10 factors that allow an Earth to exist, and then later it was 20, and then later it was 50. Today... There's over 200 known factors that our earth can exist. And when you run that math out, the chance, the probability of there being an earth is less than one out of an octillion. So there is not, we really shouldn't be here according to probability. And that's what they've discovered, right? And yet here we are. And why are we here? Well, it says it right there. The world was created. God made it. We have no excuse for not knowing God. See, I think while science uncovers complexity, there's this movement. I like to think of it as scientism, not Scientology. Scientism. And it's this, it's this movement to sort of dismiss this very thing that's being talked about right here in Romans 1 which is that people don't have an excuse because when you look at the world and you see the complexity and you see what the universe has and as science uncovers more, we realize, wow, this really proves the existence of God. But scientism tries to say, no, there is no God because then there's not an accountability. Because if we can dismiss what we see is not from God, then we can dismiss God himself. See right there, it says, people have seen the earth and sky. We've, seen, we've all seen what's out there, and so God is known. So see, I said here, God is both known and knowable. We go on to verse 21, it says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or even give him thanks. See, God is not only known, but he's knowable. God hasn't designed us just so that we could know of him. 
His intention wasn't for us to just go out and, and see the baby born or see the tree or see the sky or the universe and say, oh yeah, there's a God. His goal was so that we could know Him personally. It says that there, God has designed us for worship. Well, what does worship mean? It could break it down to a number of things, but I think at the simplest it means He wants to relate to us. He wants us to be in conversation with Him. He wants us to know Him. And so if He set up this whole universe, He set everything up, His intention is that people can know Him. So he's not only known, but he's knowable. The second thing here is that um, I see from this passage is that sin is a personal choice. Verses 22 and 23. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols. Made to look like mere people and birds and animals. And reptiles. Now, some of you know I have the opportunity during the, the school year to help tutor a, a class, and we do grammar as part of that class. It's really the most exciting thing in the world. I'm kidding. Grammar is not particularly exciting, but we do it anyway. But we do that because as you analyze the grammar of things, you begin to understand what's going on behind them, right? So the question, first question we ask when we approach a sentence or prepare a set of sentences is, who or what is the sentence about, right, Reeve? You know what, Reeve knows what that is. Who or what is the sentence about? What are the subjects of these sentence, these sentences? Well, the subjects are they. All of these sentences are about they. They, they, and they. Okay, and the next thing we say, well, what's being said about they? What are the verbs? The verbs are think, became, worshipped. So it's saying, they think, they became, they worshipped. Those verbs indicate action. They indicate ownership. And so you put it together, what this is really saying is, people choose to act sinfully. People own their sin. They're not made to do it. People try to say, oh God made me do it, or God made me this way, or I can't help it. Whatever they want to say, sin is a choice that everybody makes personally. It is a personal choice. The third thing we see from this passage is that depravity should be unsurprising. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. See, there's lots of hand-wringing going on these days. Right? People going, oh man... People are sinful. Oh no, people are sinful, right? And I think at some point we can be justified and concerned about sin that we see around us. We should. We should always be concerned. And I think there is a point in our culture where we, we have to understand there's a tension because depravity begins to encroach on things like our freedoms. And we have to be careful and we got to be concerned about it. But at the same time, we should not be surprised Maybe there shouldn't be quite so much hand-wringing about sin going on in the world around us. As you've probably heard that example of, if you see a duck and it quacks, you know it's a duck, right? Very simple. Well, in the same way, if you see a sinner and a sinner sins, you probably shouldn't be surprised that you see a sinner sinning, right? It's that same kind of idea. We just, oh yeah, we should see sinners and we should expect it. 
And this verse tells us that God has released people. He's released them to do what they want to do. And if people are sinners and they want to make their own choices, they're going to sin. And so we should not be surprised when we see depravity around us. So we just really conclude that the world is a very wicked place. And I think that's bad news. That's really bad news, right? Oh, man. It's enlightening. We really see that, yep, okay, God said this is going to happen. Apostle Paul let us know about this right here in the book of Romans, and we see it go on around us. So, okay, I get it, but it's bad because we live in a world of sin, and it's perpetual, and it's increasing. It makes it really challenging, and we see more and more a rejection of God. But I think there's actually worse news than this. You go, well, how can it be worse that we live in a world that's full of sin and it's bad and it's wicked? How can it be worse? Well, we go right on to the next chapter, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. And I'll read it here again. You can follow along. You may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. So do you see how this is worse news than the bad news we were just talking about? <clears throat> Not only is the world, de- world decaying around me, I'm that decay. I'm the source of that decay. It's not those people, it's me. Each one of us has to come to grips with that. It's not those sinners over there. It's me. Each one of us, each one of you, individually, each one of us is the problem. And so this is the worst news. We have the bad news and this is the worst news. So I'm going to draw out three points here about the worst news. First, that depravity is my reality. Verse 1 there from chapter 2, when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. You know, it's so easy, again, to, to point away from ourselves and point at that depravity around us. Oh, it's so depraved out there, right? But you guys ever hear that thing, like when you were kids? And you point the finger. you got three fingers pointing back at you, right? Did you ever hear that? Don't you nod your head, right? So then the smart, the smarty pants kids would be like, see over there, right? They'd point with all five of their fingers, so no fingers are pointing back, right? That's what we like to do, though. We like to point, say, oh, look at the sin over there. But there really is sin. And I think we do that because we don't want accountability. 
it's so much easier to sort of shift our blame from ourselves onto other people. Yeah, the world is a bad place because of you guys over there. But this verse really says it so clearly. What we're pointing out in others, we're really pointing out in ourselves. And so we need to think back, too, to the Sermon on the Mount in, chapter, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6. Right? We think it's also, it can be so easy for us to go, oh, well, those people out there, they're doing really bad stuff. That guy over there, man, he's really bad. But Jesus, in that Sermon on the Mount, he raises the bar and he says, if you think those thoughts, that's the same tough. We have, to, we have to think about that. We have to realize the depravity that we see in the world should be unsurprising because it's coming from me. And it's coming from you. The second thing is that sin is actually my choice. Verse 4, can't you see that in his kindness, that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Again, it's, it's your. Turn you from your sin. He didn't say his kindness is intended to turn other people from their sin. It's directed at me. It's directed at my sin. Think about Romans 3.23. It says, wages of sin is death. <clears throat> Something we've been learning about at my house there, especially with Reeve, my oldest son, and Josiah is... Um, they're trying to earn money for some things. And so we say, okay, well, you got to work so you can earn a wage and we'll give you a little something so that we're not accused of slavery in our house on everything. But the idea is that you do something and you get a wage for it. You get paid for it. And so you commit sin and you get paid in the form of death. And so see, sin is my own choice. I'm not forced into that. I do it. I've earned it myself. Sin is a wage. Sin is my choice. And then maybe there's a glimmer of hope here is that I'm saved by returning to God. Verse 7, he will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. So you can look at this verse and you go, Ah, great, all I got to do is do good. I'll just do good and I can return to God. I can do good. Well, I don't think that's necessarily what that's saying. It it, it is saying do good, but what exactly does do good entail? And what is that immortality that God offers? What is that? See, none of us has what I would call a naturally right relationship with God. Uh, Rich mentioned a minute ago those connect cards, right? We have the connect cards. If you're new, we'd love to have you fill those out and we'll give you a gift for it. But you'll see one of the boxes on there says, I'm interested in knowing more about having a right relationship with God. And I think that's the most important question we can ask and answer any one of us in our life because of exactly this problem, this bad news and the worst news we see here in Romans chapter 2. And so, I thought, well, I could check the box and the card and we could try to get back to you, or I could just today give you the answer as to how you can have a right relationship with God. So I'm going to walk you through, guys through this kind of quick visual illustration of the plan God lays out in the Bible for you having a right relationship with God. So, how can I have a right relationship with God? I don't know why that didn't show up on the screen. All right, so first, 
God has a design. That's what it tells us right there in Romans 1, right? God has created the world and he's created a design. His intention is for us to be in fellowship and have a right relationship with him. That's God's design. And yet, something's happened. And what do we learn from Romans chapter 2? What is that? It's my sin. What happens to my sin? It takes me out of God's design so that I'm no longer in God's design and it puts me into a realm of what we call brokenness. So now each one of us individually is living there in brokenness and we see examples of that in our own life. And I think most of us recognize that that's a problem. Man, I gotta, I gotta get out of this brokenness. I gotta get back to God's design. And so we have a bunch of different ways. We go, I'm gonna get out of here. Right? And what are some of those ways? There's a number of them. We, we try to do good. Oh, I'll just do a bunch of good deeds. I'll be religious. I'm just looking for pleasures or other things in life. Or maybe if I, if I get philosophical, I can get there. But the problem with each one of those things is they don't get us back to God. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't be religious enough. Not really satisfying to just seek pleasure. And philosophy is just empty, right? And so all of those things are like, they're like the model rocket that can't get to orbit, right? And so they all take us right back into brokenness. So we're stuck. There's God's design and here we are. Here I am in brokenness and what can I do? Well, the Bible tells us God has provided a third circle and that's Jesus Christ. You go, well, what's the deal with Jesus Christ? What's the story there? Well, Jesus was God. The Bible tells us Jesus was God's son and he was God in the flesh and he came to earth and he lived on the earth and he lived a perfect life he fulfilled prophecies written about him. And in his sinless life, at the end of it, he was executed on a cross, innocent. And on that cross, he took our sins and the punishment due to us, and he died. But he defeated death because he came back to life. And after he came back to life, he rose and went back to be in heaven. And you go, well, that's great. So what did he do? He took the penalty. Well, now there's an option for us to escape brokenness. First, we turn and believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is that way. We believe that he is God and that he's taken that punishment on our behalf. So we turn and believe and then we have the opportunity in this life to recover some aspect of God's design. And we get to pursue that. We get to pursue his design and ultimately, when our time on earth is done, we'll get to go be with God and his design in heaven for eternity through Jesus Christ. And so that's really simple. That's what it takes to have a right relationship with God. So we've seen the bad news. We've seen that the world is depraved. And we've seen the worst news, which is that I am depraved. And here we get the good news. And the good news is that you can get right with Jesus today. Right now, if you want to. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You get to return to God's design right there. And so how can I do this? Well, 
What's it say right there in Romans 10? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. And so that's what you have to do. And so the confessing is really simply a prayer. And here's a guideline for prayer you can put on the screen that, that you can pray. And if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you ex- receive him as your Lord and Savior, you get to go back to God's design and you can spend eternity with him in heaven. It's just that simple. Right now, you can get right. You can have that right relationship with God. We don't have to live in a world of bad news or worse news. We can be with him. So let's just take a minute and pray. Maybe some of you are right here in that place and you've never heard it in this sort of simple way or clearly you've been wondering or wherever you're at. You can pray this prayer or something very similar just right in your heart. You can say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave and I invite you to come into my heart and life as my Lord and Savior. Yeah, God, I, I pray, Lord, if there's anybody out here today who, who needs to hear that message, who um, has been thinking about it or wondering or saying, Dad, how, how can I get right with God? I just trust that this is your word. This is what the Bible tells us. We don't have to live wringing our hands over depravity around us or um, in fear of the consequences of, um, of what our sin is going to bear in eternity. I thank you for providing your son Jesus Christ as a way to get us out of brokenness and back to your design. Lord, if there's anyone here who's, who's prayed that prayer, Lord, I pray you'd work in their lives and as they cross from, from death into life, from brokenness into your design. Um, God, thank you for, for giving us help and, and church and your spirit and the word to guide us. God, we thank you that we can read all of this right there in your Bible and your word and that we can take it and apply it. And God, I just pray that there would be some even here today who would just take this and apply it to their lives. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.